love that line um, that we just sang. It says, you know, trust him when we just need to trust him. Okay, like as a parent, there are so many times when I tell my kids, you just have to trust me. You just have to trust me. And how do you learn to trust someone? Um, well, you can look back at what they've done, right? And have they been trustworthy? Do they love me? Because if they know that they love me, then I can trust them. And we know that our Savior loves us. Oh, on that cross, how it was seen. And he loves us. He gave us his life. And if he would do that for us, how much more does he have our good in mind for eternity? His path leads to that. Let's pray. Lord, I pray that you would help us trust you. Sometimes the things we face in life feel so overwhelming. So much bigger than us. We don't know what to do. We don't know where to turn. And you are calling to us the whole time saying, Come, all you who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. We can find our rest in you. So I pray that we would rest in you this morning, even as we look at your word and begin to study together a topic that um, has, uh, I guess, a lot, of, a lot of people have written a lot of things about it and thought a lot about it over the years. And not everyone agrees. So I just pray that you would help us to learn together what you would have for us as we talk about spiritual gifts. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Alright, well if you have a Bible, I'd encourage you to turn in it to 1 Corinthians chapter 12. 1 Corinthians chapter 12, and this section of Corinthians goes from chapter 12 up to chapter 14. We're going to just be dipping our foot into the topic today in verses 1 to 11, and hopefully giving you a framework uh, with which to understand some of the discussion about spiritual gifts, what they are and what they mean. So, I'll start with this question. How many of you have ever taken a personality survey? A lot of jobs require them nowadays. Schools. Uh, how about like a strength finder survey? You know, what are you good at, in case you didn't know? Um, the truth is, these, these surveys, interestingly, are very new in the grand scheme of world history. Um, they became really popular about a, only about a hundred years ago. The military developed them to figure out which soldiers were more likely to get shell-shocked by bombs going off. Like who could really handle it on the front line or who would be more likely to get PTSD. It was developed going into World War One. There was a need for it. And since then, in the early 1920s, these surveys have exploded in the West, especially, and really popular in the last 50 years. For example, have any of you ever taken the Myers-Briggs survey? I know I have, um, multiple times actually. Uh, not because I chose to, but because it was required for various 
things, college and seminary. Um, another one that's really popular today, you may have heard of it, maybe you've taken it, is the Enneagram. Okay? Really, really wildly popular. Surveys will tell you, are you an extrovert? Are you an introvert? Are you an omnivert? Somewhere in the middle? Yeah. <laughs> that is a term, actually. One survey I had to take called the IDAP personality survey. I took that in high school. I said I was, it was, I was an in-between. I, I can be, you know, I'm not neither an introvert or an extrovert. I can be energized by big groups or small groups, depending on who they are. Anyhow. Um, I've known people who really get into these surveys. Maybe you've known some people. And they feel like they're keys to understanding themselves. Like, aha, I finally got me. I finally <laughs> understand me. Um, it's a mental map for us to get our arms around the mysterious realm of human identity. Sometimes people can, you know, learn somebody's, uh, you know, some, you know, somebody's what it, their profile on a survey and say, "Wow, I finally get you." finally understand you. Um, now, for those of you who have been Christians a while, you may be familiar with the Christian version of personality tests. It's called a spiritual gifts survey. These surveys have also become wildly popular in some church circles, and their rise in popularity has paralleled, interestingly, the, the rise in the secular fascination with surveys, individualistic, you know, individual surveys. Um, now, there may be some of you newer believers, especially have, who have never heard of the spiritual gift survey. Uh, that's okay. There's others like myself who have been subjected to many of them over the years. Again, you apply for Bible college, they want you to take one. You apply for seminary, they want you to take one. You apply for a ministry position, they want you to take one. Um, networks, church planning networks use them. Um, these surveys read through the various lists of spiritual gifts that Paul gives in Ephesians and in Romans and in Corinthians. And they see these lists, they, they put, put them together, and they give you, um, try to figure out which ones you have based upon your answers. Now, if you just Google spiritual gifts survey, countless options will come up. There's a lot of these around. Um, one top website says this. The Team Ministry Spiritual Gift Survey is a discovery tool that provides you with a personalized analysis. Not an exam, but a simple questionnaire giving you a profile of your God-given spiritual gifts. Discovering and exercising your God-given... I'm reading from the website. Discovering and exercising your God-given spiritual gifts allows you to experience maximum fulfillment with minimum frustration in your Christian life and ministry. In other words, and me putting this words, it helps you avoid the horrible frustration of serving where you're not gifted. I hope you note a little bit of sarcasm there. Because of course nobody wants to do what they're not good at. That's why I didn't play football. Anyway <laughs> The website goes on. For that reason, we're pleased to offer this spiritual gift survey to individuals and churches and ministries and organizations. Every, here's, here's what they say. Every Christian has a dominant spiritual gift and 
Many possess more than one. Guys, buckle up. When I took this, I had five. <laughs> and it turns out Jesus had all of them. <laughs> Anyhow, here you go. Through this analysis, you will discover your dominant spiritual gifts. You can then begin to concentrate on further developing your spiritual gifts, because even though they're a gift, they kind of need work, right? Um, as you exercise them in daily life and in your local church ministry. The following 108 questions or statements, a lot of questions, deal with your feelings and desires. So be sure to let your responses reflect your own opinions of yourself. As you read each statement, click the button with the most accurate answer. Okay. So if you've ever taken one of these, you know what I'm talking about. Um, if you haven't, you know... I almost said you're missing out, but I don't know. Um, okay, so it's not an understatement to say these surveys, again, they've become wildly popular in many churches. So I think they're declining a little bit in popularity over the last time, but they were a fact. When I was in high school, this was like the thing. I know Adam's old, went through a phase where they all went through this, and it's like, how do we get members into ministry? Well, we give them a spiritual gift survey, and then we match their gifts with the ministry, and voila, it, it, it works great, Okay. Um, those who hold this popular view of spiritual gifts will say it has nothing to do, a spiritual gift has nothing to do with natural ability given at birth. So it doesn't have anything to do with your natural abilities. Instead, they'll say that a spiritual gift is like a Christian's superpower. Okay, I'm using all language that these books talking about spiritual gifts often use. It's a, it's a supernatural ability given by the Spirit of God at the moment of someone's conversion to Christ. A supernatural ability to do some kind of ministry in the church. But things get kind of weird with all this because many of the spiritual gifts that Paul lists don't really sound like superpowers or supernatural abilities. And many of the things he talks about show up in all the secular personality tests as well. For example, listen to the list in Romans 12, 6 to 8. Paul writes this, We have different gifts according to the grace given to each of us. If your gift is prophesying, then prophesy in accordance with your faith. So that would be a more supernatural gift. But listen to verse 7. If it is serving, then serve. If it is teaching, then teach. If it is to encourage, then give encouragement. If it is giving, then give generously. If it is to lead, do it diligently. If it's to show mercy, do it cheerfully. And the spiritual gift surveys that you might take, they, they test for all of those type of things. But here's the thing. Aren't all Christians supposed to serve? Aren't all Christians supposed to encourage each other? Aren't all Christians supposed to show mercy? Blessed are the merciful, for they will inherit the kingdom of heaven. Like, if you're not merciful, then you might not truly understand the forgiveness of Jesus. And I know some people who are not Christians that are way more generous than a lot of Christians I know. Do they have the spiritual gift of generosity, even though they're not following the Lord? For about, about 10 years ago, I was introduced to a different way of understanding the Bible's language about spiritual gifts. 
through the work of a New Testament scholar named Ken Burding, Kenneth Burding. Um, and as I've read the Bible since kind of becoming exposed to his perspective, and it's not just him, it's not like, well, there's one guy and everybody else is wrong. No, there's a lot of people that have struggled with this and written different things. Um, one commentary I find very helpful as I'm working through 1 Corinthians, I've recommended it to multiple, multiple of you, is Andy Nacelli's commentary. Um, and he takes Burdings' view as well. Um, and so what is his view? I'll, I'll get to it in a second. But he, he pushes back against this way of talking about gifts. And um, it really actually comes down to a simple translation issue. See, what we have unfortunately done as English Bible readers is we've imported the English word gifted. That person is a gifted person into the phrase spiritual gift. In other words, we've because we've chosen to translate it spiritual gift, which is fine, but we've imported the ideal of talent or ability when that's not inherently what the word means. This guy Ken Birding argues in his work that a far better way of understanding spiritual gifts is that they are spirit-given, spirit-empowered roles in the church. The role or the ministry itself, or even a person in a role, is a gift to the church. So a pastor can be a gift to the church in Ephesians 4.11. We'll be reading that in a few minutes. And all Christians are called and empowered and enabled, there's the language of an ability, to serve by it with the Spirit's help in at least some of these roles. So, with this in mind, I'll read. So, if you're like, what? what? What's the difference there? Hopefully, by today, you'll have a little clearer idea. And by the end of chapter 14, hopefully, you'll have a lot more clarity. We've got a long way to go through spiritual gifts. So, I'll read the text for you today. And as I read, I'm going to try to provide a, a blunt translation of the Greek in a couple of places. And when I do, um, I'll, I'll just I'm going to translate it without the word gift, so hopefully you don't hear the special talent language. Okay? 1 Corinthians 12, 1-11. Literally reads, now about spiritual things, brothers. So what, what are those spiritual things? Now about spiritual things. Are they gifts? Or what are they? Literally, now about spiritual things. I do not want you to be uninformed. Verse 2. You know that when you were pagans, somehow or other, you were influenced and led astray by mute idols. Therefore, I want you to know that no one who is speaking by the Spirit of God says, Jesus be cursed, and no one can say, Jesus is Lord, except by the Holy Spirit. There are different kinds of gracious gifts to us, but the same Spirit distributes them. There are different kinds of service, but the same Lord. There are different kinds of working, but in all of them and in everyone, it is the same God at work. Now to each one, the manifestation of the Spirit is given, gifted, for the common good. To one there is given, gifted, through the Spirit, a message of wisdom. To another, a message of knowledge by means of the same Spirit. To another, faith by the same Spirit. To another, gracious gifts. No, no, there it's plural. 
plural gifts, gracious gifts of healing by that one spirit, to another miraculous powers, to another prophecy, and to another distinguishing between spirits, and to another speaking in different kinds of tongues, and still to another the interpretation of tongues. All of these are the work of the one and same spirit, and he distributes them to each one just as he determines. Here's the main idea of the sermon that's on the back of your bulletin, as well as the points for today. The spirit of the one true God has graciously gifted his family with many different ministries for the purpose of doing the whole family good. The spirit of the one true God has graciously gifted his family with many different ministries for the purpose of doing the whole family good. Well, that's going to include the idea of ability, but it's bigger than special superpowers. Okay, It's roles to serve the body of Christ that the Spirit enables. So there's three steps here. First, we're going to look at the test of someone who has the Spirit. Spiritual ministries are going to honor Jesus. That's in verses 1 to 3. Second, We'll look at the source of the various ministries going on in the body. Spiritual ministries, what's their source? Their gifts from the Trinity to the body. And third, we'll look at the goal of these ministries. The many ministries are gifts to build up the one body of Christ. So the test, the source, and the goal. So first, the test of spiritual ministries is that they will honor Jesus. That's verses 1 to 3. Paul's words... He says this, Now about spiritual things, brothers and sisters, I do not want you to be uninformed. You know that when you were pagans, somehow or other you were influenced and led astray to mute idols. It's important, mute. They can't, idols can't talk. Therefore, I want you to know that no one who is speaking, you can talk, you can talk, by the Spirit of God says, Jesus be cursed. And no one can say, Jesus is Lord, except by the Holy Spirit. So notice in verse 1 how Paul starts off his discussion. He says, now about. This is Paul's formula, or Paul's favorite expression that he keeps using again and again in his letter when he's tackling things that the Corinthians wrote him a letter about. Okay? So in 7 verse 1, he says, now about the matters you wrote about. And in 7.25, he says, now about virgins. You ask, should unmarried people get married or just stay unmarried because there's a huge crisis going on, a famine? What, now about that, he says. And in 8 verse 1, he says, now about food sacrificed to idols. And that launches into a whole two-chapter discussion about that. Now in chapter 12, he says, now about. So it's, again, addressing something they've written him about. And here he uses a word that he only uses two times, one here and one in chapter 14, and it's almost certainly a word that the Corinthians were using to talk about the Holy Spirit's activities in their midst when they gathered to worship. So he says, now about, and the word is pneumaticon, pneumaticon. And it can be either translated, so it's one word, and it can be either translated spiritual things or spiritual people. And most translators take it to be spiritual things. And because the things being talked about are gifts from the Spirit, they say spiritual gifts. So there you have the NIV and a lot of other 
translation, which is fine, except for the fact that to English speakers like us, the word gift includes, unfortunately, and can include the concept of talent, special, unique ability, and it doesn't inherently mean that at all. So, now concerning these spiritual things, says Paul, the Corinthians have questions. And Paul starts off his discussion about the things of the Spirit by laying down some ground rules for the Spirit's activity. First, he says that though you used to be influenced and led astray by idols that can't speak, or pause, he says, you used to be pagans. You used to be led astray by idols that can't speak. Well, an idol is an image, an icon, an image of an unseen spiritual being, a spiritual power. When Paul talks about idols back in chapter 8, he says, if you sacrifice to idols, you're sacrificing to demons, right, and not God. So idols represent demons. They cannot speak. They cannot communicate. These idols are hunks of rock and stone. But, in contrast to them, we humans are the images of the living God. In Genesis, or I mean in, in uh, Exodus, we talked about this many times, why does God forbid idols, images? Because he has his image already. It's humans. Talking, breathing, thinking, living representatives. Of him. And so don't make any image because you are God's image and you are to represent him. So, idols, you used to be led astray by new idols representing these pagan deities that can't speak. But you can speak. And you're made in the image of God. And the words that you say um, are words that ought to represent God well to the people, to people and to the world. God. The living God has a message that he wants to say. Just like the spiritual beings of the ancient world, you know, maybe they had messages to say, but they weren't giving them through idols. Piece of rock. But the living God, he has a message to say to the world. And how does he say it? Through his images. Through people made in his image. We have a speaking God who speaks through spirit-filled, spirit-empowered people. Not idols. That's his point. And the second thing Paul highlights is that when God speaks through images of himself, through people made in the image of God, being renewed in the image of God by Christ, spirit-filled people, when he speaks through them, whether in tongues or prophecy, we're going to talk about all of that in days to come, you can be sure that whatever somebody who's speaking on God's behalf is doing, he's not going to curse God. Or the Lord Jesus. Instead, the Spirit of Jesus will always acknowledge the Lordship of Jesus. Which means Jesus shares the identity of the Lord in Paul's mind. The Lord of the Old Testament, Paul's Bible, is Yahweh. Yahweh is the Lord. When Paul calls Jesus Lord, 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 all over the New Testament, all the authors of the New Testament, what they mean is Jesus is Jehovah. That's what they mean. Jesus is Yahweh. So, for example, when the prophet Muhammad claimed to have the angel Gabriel deliver messages to him, 
in a cave, we can know that his messages were not from the spirit of the living God because Mohammed did not acknowledge that Jesus was Lord. The same goes for Charles Taze Russell of the Jehovah's Witnesses and countless others. These are the ground rules for knowing whether what someone says comes from God or not. Any spiritual ministry, anything claiming to be from the Spirit, will ultimately acknowledge the Lordship of Jesus Christ. So that's the test of spiritual things. The second point today, the source. Spiritual ministries are gifts from the Trinity, verses 4 to 6. Look at verses 4 to 6 with me, if you would. There are different kinds of gracious gifts. There's one word there, charisma, or charismata, when it's used plural, um, from where you get the word charismatic. There's different kinds of grace gifts. The word grace is charis, and this is charismata. It's like the, the gifts of grace. And the word grace just fundamentally means a gift. These are gracious gifts. And in context, they're gifts that the Spirit gives to His people. So there are different kinds of these gracious gifts, but it's the same Spirit who distributes them. And Paul will unpack those gifts in verses 5 and 6 by saying, what are these gracious gifts? Well, verse 5, there's different kinds of service. So the gifts are service, but the same Lord. And so the gracious gifts are various areas of service that the Spirit works in the midst of his church. And then look at verse 6. There are different kinds of working, but in all of them and in everyone, it is the same God at work. So whatever work, whether whatever service or ministry one is doing in the church or for the church, that person has no grounds to boast in what they're doing, right? The role they're filling, the work they're doing is a gift from God that they get to bless the church with in the way that they're serving. So as I'm preaching to you right now, God intends the preaching of the word to be a gift from his spirit to you. I'm just the channel. It's not because I'm a particularly gifted preacher, but that my role as a pastor and my preaching is the Spirit's gift to the body. And to the degree that I'm speaking words that God would have me say, to the degree that I rely on God for help, my preaching is a spiritual gift to us all. A gift from Jesus to the Spirit. Now, I want you to notice, before we move on, how Paul smoothly weaves the three persons of the Trinity into his description of the kind of gracious gifts that the Spirit works in the midst of his people. In verse 4, he mentions the Spirit. In verse 5, the Lord, that's Jesus. And in verse 6, God himself, which is the regular way that the biblical authors choose to speak about the Father in the Bible. God, the Father, Christ, the Lord, and the Holy Spirit. Spiritual gifts are from God the Father, through the Spirit of the Lord Jesus Christ. And these many different ministries that are gifted to the body, these many different kinds of work, these many kinds of service that the Spirit 
ministers in the midst of his family, they have a specific goal. And that's point three this morning. The goal of the many ministries are gifts to build up the one body of Christ. This is in verses 7 to 11. So I'll read those verses and pause a couple times as I go through. Paul writes, Now to each one the manifestation, the displaying of the Spirit is given for the common good. So each one, all Christians, have the Spirit. See that there? To each one the Spirit is given. And the the, the manifestation, the NIV says, it basically um, means the same thing as the gracious gift of the Spirit. The, the manifestation of the Spirit is the, the, the ministries that the Spirit shows off in the body. The gracious gifts that he creates. He's going to show himself off. He's going to manifest himself. He's going to show off his power and his ability and his presence... The Spirit is going to show it off in the midst of God's people by working through them in various ways. What are those ways? Verse 8. To one, there is given through the Spirit a message of wisdom. I hope you see this is not a unique spiritual ability to be wise that some people have and some people just don't have. I mean, James encourages all believers, if anyone lacks wisdom, let him ask of God who gives, hear the gift gener- language, who gives generously to all without finding fault. Wisdom is a gift that the Spirit gives to the church. No, when a Christian shows up at the church with a wise message or a wise word to someone, that is the Spirit's gift to the church. And yes, it is an ability, if the Spirit gives you the ability to speak, and to speak a wise word. But the, the, the focus of the gift is not a giftedness, but the wisdom itself that is a gift to the church. I hope, I hope as we keep going, there will be more clarity here. Okay? A spirit, a gift that the Spirit chose... The wisdom is the gift that the Spirit chose a particular person to show off in the church. So God's wisdom is on display. The gift of God's wisdom is on display through a particular person. And anyone can display them through the Spirit's work and help. Notice what else verse 7 says. It's for the common good. That's the goal of this gift. And all other spiritual gifts. The goal of the gift isn't to puff up one Christian over another, but to build up the whole church. And we'll see this in the days to come. This is a huge issue in Corinth. This is why Paul's writing this letter. There are Christians in Corinth who are so proud of what the Spirit is doing through them that they were boasting and lording their gifts over each other. Now, let's look at what Paul says as he continues to unpack this idea of gracious gifts of the Spirit to the church. He says, verse 8, To another, a message of knowledge is given by means of this same Spirit. Is there a difference between wisdom and knowledge? Perhaps slightly, right? Wisdom has to do with wise or foolish courses of action Knowledge has more to do with information, knowing things, knowing the Lord. 
But when someone serves the church through information or through knowledge, Paul wants you to see that it is a gift to that church from the Spirit. It's a sign that God's Spirit is at work in that church for the benefit of the body. Verse 9 continues. To another, faith is given by the same Spirit. Now, aren't all Christians supposed to have faith? Of course, this is where the traditional paradigm starts to, the traditional way, or not traditional, I shouldn't say traditional, it's only in the last 80 years that this special ability to have faith idea has come through um, into the writings that are influencing a lot of our churches. But the truth is, all Christians are called to have faith. I don't think Paul is talking about a unique ability to have faith that the Spirit gives one person, but no. Carl, that gift's just not for you. Right? Faith isn't your area of giftedness. It's mine. I don't, I, don't, I don't think that's what's going on here. Um, what I think Paul is saying is that when he looks at the church of Corinth he, and sees someone in that church exercising faith, trust in Jesus in a specific and tangible way, that person may be trusting God for something really big. Or really small, it doesn't matter. And God shows up for them and acts because of their faith in him. Paul says that faith they had is a gift of the Spirit that's at work. That person has the gift of faith. They got it from God. And you can too, right? If anyone lacks wisdom, if anybody wants faith, ask God. If you have the faith of a mustard seed, you can move mountains. It's not a special ability that some Christians have and others don't. That language causes messiness that wasn't intended, I don't think, by Paul. It's how the Spirit is graciously working in the body. Verse 9 goes on and says that the Spirit gives to another gracious gifts, plural, of healing by that one Spirit. The language here, I think, should make it pretty clear that Paul is not saying Certain Christians are permanent healers, and others simply just aren't. These are gifts, plural, of healing. And they mean different instances when someone prays and people are healed. And I believe any Christian can receive that gift in response to their prayers for someone. James encourages that in his letter, right? Pray for them that they may be healed. They aren't fixed gifts one person has and another doesn't. Though often God will use some people in this healing role more often than others. Now look at verse 10. To another, miraculous powers. This would seem to go with healing. To another, prophecy. To another, distinguishing between spirits. To another, speaking in different kinds of tongues. And to still another, the interpretation of tongues. All these are the work of one and the same Spirit, and he distributes them to each one just as he determines. So for the goal of today, the goal of today's sermon is, again, just to try to get you a, a mental framework as we start to work through these things and understand the concepts behind them. We'll be talking in more depth about prophecy and speaking in tongues next week and in the week's as we work through the passage. However, I just for now I'll say, speaking in tongues, what is that? It is the spirit-empowered gift to someone that enables them to speak a language that they do not know, but that someone else does. 
that could be a human language, like what we see happening in the book of Acts, chapter 2, or a language of spiritual beings, of angels. Paul mentions this in 1 Corinthians 13. Prophecy is when the Spirit uses a Christian to address the church with a word or message that the Christian has received from the Lord. This is not a special, fixed, unique ability given to someone at conversion. Now, you, you were converted, and now the Spirit gave you the gift of prophecy. It's not a, um, it's a Spirit-empowered role that someone can play in the church, the role of a prophet. And Paul actually encourages all Christians to desire it. Very interesting. Verse 1 of chapter 14. He says, follow the way of love and eagerly desire the spiritual ministries, the gracious gifts of God's Spirit, especially prophecy. So he says, desire prophecy. What does that mean? Well, glad you asked. I will be tackling it in days to come. You pray for me. God would help me be clear. And the reason Paul goes on to say is because prophecy, prophecy he's going to, he goes on to explain in chapter 14, that prophecy, unlike tongues, uniquely encourages the gathered church of Jesus with words of encouragement, words of exhortation, a word of knowledge, a word of wisdom from God's spirit. So as we move towards wrapping up our time, I just want to read um, again a summary. What are spiritual gifts and what aren't they? Here's I'll quote Ken, Ken Burden, Kenneth Burden. According to the contextual evidence in the letters of Paul, the so-called spiritual gifts should not be viewed as special abilities to do ministry because some of them don't fit. They, you know, what one person has and another just too bad. They're not special abilities. Rather, they should be viewed as the ministries themselves. Every believer has been assigned by the Holy Spirit to specific positions and activities of service, small and large, short-term and long-term. These ministry assignments have been given by the Holy Spirit to individual believers, and in turn, these individuals in their ministries have been given as gifts to the church. In other words, the Bible can actually speak of people themselves as gifts to the church, people in these roles. For example, Ephesians 4, 11-12, Christ himself gave, gifted, the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, and the pastors and teachers to equip his people for works of service so that the body of Christ might be built up. So those people in these various roles, Paul says they are gifts to Christ's church. The ministries that they fulfill are gifts to Christ's church. I should not sit there and think, hmm, do I have the spiritual gift of being a pastor? That, that's not actually even in the requirements of being a pastor in 1 Timothy or in Titus. Okay, Paul doesn't say, do you have the spiritual gift of pastor? You would think, if it's special ability, you would think that the list of pastoral requirements would require... Not just don't get drunk, be a one woman, you know, have one wife, um, you know, don't have a reputation of, you know, being a schmoozer around town or whatever it is with lost people. Um, no, 
have spiritual gift of pastoring. It's, it's not there. Um, you've got to be able to teach. But it didn't say the spiritual gift of teaching either. Um, the, the unique special ability to teach. Now you've got to be capable to do it. So um, it doesn't seem like it fits. And so as you start, like I said, I, I was exposed to this way of viewing it about 10 years ago. And I've been reading the Bible with this kind of on the back burner, hmm, maybe for about 10 years now. And it makes a lot more sense. It includes the idea of ability. God empowers people to do things. But it's not like you have it and somebody else doesn't. Or that you have to make sure you have it before you serve. Like, man, i got to make sure I'm good with kids before I serve in nursery. Because I'm going to have the spiritual gift of nursery. <laughs> No, that's, that's not what Paul is talking about. So, different people in roles are gifts, and their ministries are gifts to Christ's church. And all of it, Paul says, is intended to build up and strengthen and encourage the church and equip the whole church to serve Jesus. So, as we close, I, I just want you to know that whatever you do as a believer to serve and encourage and edify and strengthen and build up the family of Jesus here at our church. It is a gift from the Spirit to this church. Okay? You don't have to figure out what your spiritual superpower is to be empowered to serve our church family. In fact, Sometimes God presents us with a need or presses on our hearts to meet a need and minister in areas where we feel very weak and ill-equipped to help. So that in any success we might have, it will be obvious it was the Spirit who gifted us to do that, who empowered us, who worked through us to serve. Like Peter says, whoever serves, 1 Peter 4, 11, 10 and 11, whoever serves, let them serve to the strength that God supplies, so that in all things God may be glorified through Jesus Christ. So there are many ways that the Spirit empowers us to serve. When you show up and somebody's asking for advice and you feel like God helped you to speak a word of wisdom to someone, Wisdom that you've been shown from God. A word of wisdom. Does that mean you have the spiritual superpower of sharing, dispelling wisdom? No. It means that through you, God gave the church the spiritual gift of wisdom in that moment. Right? And that, yes, there are many Christians who are, are the wise ones. You would want, you would do well to. Follow them because the Spirit gifts them with wisdom regularly because they've been walking with Him for a long time. And there are people who share knowledge. And there are people who, man, they have a lot of faith. The Spirit has gifted them with faith, just as He has gifted all of us with faith. Would you pray for me? But no, when you pray... God answers prayer. It's not, it's not that they have the superpower. James would say you should pray for that faith too, right? <laughs> um, so I hope that as we're starting this conversation about spiritual gifts, 
and you are encouraged that God is at work in your life and wants to use you to be a gift to his people, to encourage and serve his people. Where are their needs? Where can you pray for somebody? Where can you call somebody and encourage them? Where can you meet needs that are in the body? Show someone the love of Christ. Paul is looking at this church in Corinth and he's seeing, man, there's things happening. But it, Corinth, as you know, and as we've talked about, was a mess for the church because people who experienced the work of the Spirit in their life and through them started to make it about them and started to treat it like it was their special superpowers. And like, all of a sudden, they are the tongue speakers and they're causing all sorts of division in the church and on and on. And that their gifts are better than others. As if God has gifted me this and not you. Too bad. Right? That, that, that's the type of thing that started to happen. Um, or, man, I just don't have the gifts that they have. And it, was, it was causing divisions in the body. And that's not Paul's point at all. All Christians have been gifted with the Spirit. And the Spirit manifests himself in the church in various ministries that he empowers his people to do to serve each other. And may God's Spirit tug at your heart today. What are ways that I can bless the body of Christ? Let's pray. Lord, I thank you for your work in our midst. God, for some of this, this may have been a new way of thinking about things. I know it was for me when I was first introduced to it. And Lord, this is already a complex topic um, that not everybody agrees on. I just ask that you would help us to continue to learn from your word and learn from you as we try to process the things that you have said and put in our hands for our good. God, may we learn from you, and I pray that you would empower us to serve each other. Father, I ask that um, you would do a mighty work in our hearts, that we would just have a deep desire to help each other grow to be more like Christ to minister to each other's needs as Christ has met our needs. And I pray that we would embody our desire to be one together as we go to the table. In Jesus' name, amen.